0: Hello, and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. I'm Brandy, and I'm part of the Ridge team here in Morgantown. The past few years have been challenging for all of us. We've experienced many losses and have grown weary. But what have we learned through this trial? Have we stopped to grieve? Can we be better prepared for trials that we may face in the future? Listen as Pastor Tim addresses some of those questions in a talk from Take Time, an encouraging series that will help us slow down and learn what God may be wanting to teach us in the days ahead. good morning that was pretty bad is it the snow that we're all unhappy about good morning that's just as bad I give up I think most people have the impression that because I'm a pastor and um, that I like people that I must be an extrovert but really I don't believe that's the case My wife and I have debated this before, but I think I'm more of an introvert. Now, I I find uh, people to be fascinating. I enjoy conversations with people. I occasionally like to be the life of the party, occasionally, but I really like also just being alone. I find sometimes that people and crowds and conversations kind of wear me out, which isn't a good thing if you're a minister, you know, but but I think that's true. And I think that's true of probably most of us here. There's some of you that are extroverts, you know, and you just get energized by people. But an awful lot, I think, are, are, are just, you're introverted. And I, I think you find social interaction sometimes difficult. I think all of us, by the way, would admit that there are times where It's difficult socially in some conversation, or sometimes I think all of us have been anxious when we anticipated something that was coming, conversation or uh, an encounter. We were going to have a social situation. Somebody will be facing uh, Christmas dinner parties, for example, and you're saying, oh, I just don't want to do that. Today, we're going to continue our series related to the pandemic. And today, I would like to focus on what I consider to be the significant social cost to this pandemic. Because it served to put up barriers between us. And I think it caused a situation where even some people are become socially, even afraid to engage in conversations, we've become kind of disconnected. And it shows itself in a variety of different ways. It started of course when they started putting those little stickers on the ground that said, you need to stand six feet from the next person, which was an appropriate thing to do. But it was a social barrier. Apparently, six feet is supposed to be how far a sneeze will go, but it made sense, and so we were separating from one another. We distanced ourselves and each other, and that wasn't, I don't think, a a big deal there, but in some cases, the effect was, was really bad. For example, I feel sorry for anyone that happened to find themselves in a hospital or a nursing home during that season of time where visitors were not allowed to come in and see people. That was really tragic. I mean, most of us saw, I'm sure, the um, pictures of maybe two parties on opposite sides of a glass door where maybe there's a person in a, wheel- a wheelchair sitting there and the family's on the other side and they've got their hand up against the glass and they're weeping because they can't hug each other. They can see each other, but they can't hug each other. And it had a profound impact on even the healing, they say, of some people in the hospital. According to a study by Cambridge University, there's a high cost associated with the essential quarantine and social distancing interventions for COVID-19, especially in older adults who've experienced an acute, severe sense of social isolation and loneliness with potentially serious mental and physical health consequences. I think most people would admit that some of the measures we took, though they were maybe necessary, but some of the measures we took were every bit as dangerous or deadly as the virus itself. And that co- that social cost it, it impacted us in other ways. For example, the wearing of masks. And, and I think now this will be a regular thing that if we're ever in a compromised position, it's appropriate now to wear masks or whatever. But the thing about masks is that they don't reveal what the person is really saying many times they say communication is not just about words so much of communication is about expressions but if you can't see the lower half of someone's face it's impacting our ability to connect with one another I think it's I think it's made a difference I remember a lot of Sunday mornings where I said something that I thought was maybe funny and I couldn't tell if anyone was smiling or if they were mad I just couldn't tell. I can't see. Now, you can see a little bit through the eyes. But it obviously, it, it put a barrier between us. I think we'd all admit that. And then one of the other significant social costs had to do with doing things technologically, which I view as a blessing. I'm so thankful for Zoom and FaceTime. I still use it every single week. WhatsApp. I have meetings constantly, you know, through through Zoom and whatever else, and some are watching this online, which is wonderful. I'm thankful that we're able to do this. But some studies have indicated that we become so attached to the technology and doing these meetings via computer that we struggle now to actually interact with people there are studies that indicate that we are forgetting even how to engage in conversations with one another because we became, became so used to just doing it over the internet and we might have a meeting with someone for one hour over the internet or something but you can't really connect deeply i mean to some degree you can but it's not exactly the same now this whole series has been called take time And we just didn't want to get past some of these lessons that we've learned over the pandemic. We feel like it's important that as a nation we went through certain things. And I think God has wanted to teach us certain things. And I don't want us to lose what those lessons were. The first week of this series, we talked about taking time to see things differently. It was just basically a talk on the Beatitude part of the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus called those who are part of his kingdom to view things differently. And the list of things that we're supposed to be happy about, you know, blessed are those who mourn, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you know, you wonder why are those things blessed things, especially the mourning or if we suffer loss or whatever else. But as Christians, we can see things differently through a different lens. We've got a God who's with us through everything we face. And the second week of the series, Arch talked about taking time to stop, rest, delight, and worship. It was basically acknowledging that during this pandemic, it gave us an opportunity. Most of us experienced a slowdown. Most of us, for the first time, maybe in our lives, stopped, in the midst of our busyness, because we still have work and things, but we stopped and we said, you know, this is really nice, that I'm not going like crazy all the time, a schedule that's ridiculous. And in the Old Testament, God gave the people of Israel this thing called the Sabbath day, and I know we're not under the Old Testament, but the principle, I think, applies today. In fact, the idea of the Sabbath predated the law. It says God rested on the seventh day. He provided for us an example in our culture that's hard to do you know what do you mean I'm supposed to stop one day and not do any work yes and we'd be so much healthier but there are other places during the day that we could stop and connect with our God and and we don't have to go back to a lifestyle that's just crazy but today my takeaway is take time to reconnect with others Because I feel like we have, to some degree and in various ways, disconnected with one another. And I especially think when it comes to the church, it's so important that we be in relationship with one another, that we connect with one another in a meaningful way. And the reason this is so important is that we were created for relationships. Our God lives in eternal community Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And when He created us, He created us to be social beings to be connected with other people. In fact, when God created Eve in Genesis 2.18, as a as a companion for Adam, we read, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement. It's not good for the man to be alone, God said. Now, this isn't a statement that is saying you need to get married. That's not the point of it. The point is we were created for a community. We were created for relationships. And we suffer when we don't have them. We suffer when we don't have them. I recently read a study that indicated that the greatest uh, con- thing that contributes to long life was actually it had to do with relationships more than anything else. Different studies reveal different things. But one of the studies I just read indicated it was people that, that were connected with other people. That was the single determining thing that made a difference in the longevity of the people in this particular study. And I think we'd all acknowledge that connecting with others is a valuable thing. Now, Solomon, from the Old Testament, was one of the wisest guys who ever lived, third king of Israel. And if he were alive today and he were writing books, I would, I would buy every one of his books because God gave him insight, divine insight, insight that he didn't have on his own. And Solomon, in his... In the wisdom God had given to him, he addressed this subject. He talked about the problem with not having companions in our lives, people to share our life with. And I want to look at a section in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's verses 7 through 12. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. And I want to look at what he had to say about the importance of companionship and having people in our lives and why it is important. Beginning in verse 7, he said, Again... I saw futility under the sun. Let me stop for a moment, but the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about futility, senselessness of life. I mean, the entire book of Ecclesiastes is about a guy that tried to find meaning through all these things in this world, and he finally concluded you can't find joy in all of this. It it has to do with being properly related to God. That was his final conclusion in Ecclesiastes, connect with God. But throughout the book, he explores various ways in which people try to find joy and happiness. And one thing after another, he says, well, now this is futile. You know, this didn't pan out. This wasn't good. And so he begins this by saying, again, I saw futility under the sun. I saw a certain senselessness to life. He goes on to say, there is a person... And I imagine he's observing a person, like there was a person without a companion, without even a son or brother, and though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. So who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself from good? This too is futile and a miserable task. So Solomon is describing someone, I imagine he's... He's he's looking at the life of somebody here that is kind of miserable. And in the context of the passage, there are two things we know about him. If you read just those verses, but the ones that preceded as well, you know two things about this guy. Number one is that he was he was very wealthy. He was someone who had wealth, he had riches. The second thing about this guy is that he worked all the time. He worked constantly. And so you have this guy that's working all the the time to gain wealth or gain riches. That's kind of the context of all of this. Now, some of his happiness, according to the verses we read, had to do with the fact that he was working all the time and couldn't enjoy life. And I think all of us would agree that's that's the way it is sometimes. I mean, here was the guy that was working, you know, night and day, nonstop, in order to accumulate his wealth, but he couldn't enjoy wealth. He couldn't enjoy what he had because he was too busy. I mean, I think that's the bottom line. He was just too busy to enjoy what he had, and, and life is more than that. I mean, there's just a futility about living our whole life to become as rich as possible then to find out that every night we're too tired to enjoy anything and we're too busy to enjoy anything. That was, that was part of his story. The other part of his story is that he wondered, Why? he wasn't happy it had to do with the fact that he didn't have other people in his life he didn't have a companion in his life he didn't have someone to share it with and so he's miserable you know at least if he had gained all this wealth even if he couldn't enjoy it himself if he had other another person in his life with whom he could share it you know he might be happy but he didn't have that either and so for both of those reasons he was kind of miserable And Solomon recognized that. It's important to have people in our lives. There was a guy without a companion. No no sons, no brothers, no one as a, a, a companion to go through life with. So why am I wealthy? I can't even share it with anybody. That was his situation. Based on that, Solomon made these comments beginning in verse 9. He said two are better than one because they have a good reward or some versions say a good return for their efforts you get a good return if they're two for if either falls his companion can lift him up but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up also if two lie down together they can keep warm but how can one person alone keep warm and if someone overpowers one person Two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I think he's saying there that three is even better than two. Now, Solomon began here by making a thesis. It's his summary statement. And his statement is this in verse 9. He said, two are better than one because they get or have a good reward for their efforts. In other words, he's saying there's a good return if you've got two more than one. They, they get a, a better return. Now, I think what Solomon is talking about here is a thing called synergy. Dictionary.com defines synergy in this way it's the interaction of elements that, when combined, produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of the individual elements, contributions, etc. The point is, together we reap greater results than we do alone when we're with other people. And there's a synergistic effect. You have certain gifts, abilities, you have talents, you have strengths. Other people have different gifts, abilities, talents, and strengths. And when we come together, we get a greater return. And you've seen that. Many of you in the workplace, we talk about this in the, the, the workplace, that when you bring people together with different ideas, different strengths, different ways of seeing things, you end up with a result that's better than either of you would have come up with on your own. It's just better. Two are better than one. You get a better return. Which is the point he's making here in verse 9 again. Two are better than one. They get a, a, a good or a better return or reward for their efforts. But then in verse 10, Solomon uses the word for the next word is for he's about to explain why why really is two better than one why is this the truth continuing in verse 10 for he says and this is his first point for if either falls his companion can lift him up but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up also this is his second point if two lie down together they can keep warm but how can one person alone keep warm and here's his third point if someone overpowers one person two can resist him a cord of three strands is not easily broken so Solomon supports his thesis by giving three examples to demonstrate that two are actually better than one, and I want to talk about each of them briefly. The first one is this, that we all need help at times. He makes the point every one of us needs help sometime. Look at verse 10 again. Solomon wrote, for if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Now, it's obviously he's obviously describing a situation where someone falls and gets injured. They don't have the ability to, to get back up on their own. That's what he's describing there. So somebody falls, and if you're alone, when you're injured, you're kind of stuck. All of us have probably seen the commercials by that company, Life Alert. I have to admit, I find them a little humorous. I, I shouldn't. It's a sad situation, but it, it's some... Um, Older person, elderly person who has fallen on the ground. Again, there's nothing humorous about that. And they they grab this little thing around their neck and they push a button and they say, "Help! I've fallen and I can't give up. Get up." It's just that the commercial itself is a little bit corny. But the the issue they're addressing is good. It's a, it's a that's an issue. They tapped into something that's pretty smart. That sometimes you're going to have someone that's going to be alone, and if they have something like that, you know, that they won't be alone. I've fallen, and I can't get back up. And sometimes we need someone to help us get up. Now, the problem in our culture today is that I, I think we value independence so much. And we value being the ones that give help. We don't like being helped. I, I think we're, pr- we're proud. I know I'm proud in that way. I'd rather be the one that's giving help to someone than the one that needs help because I'm kind of embarrassed to admit I need help. I'd rather you think there is strong and this and that and very competent and this and that and he doesn't need any help at all and that's how I want to be viewed. I don't want people to to view me like, oh, poor Tim, he needs help. That's pride. All of us need help. We will all at times in our lives need help. Those of you that know scuba diving know that one of the rules of scuba diving is that you're never to go scuba diving alone. Never go by yourself. I have to admit, I've been tempted to do that. I, I've been tempted to do that. Our family goes on vacation, sometimes up in Michigan, and I understand there are hundreds of shipwrecks in Lake Michigan that they haven't found yet. And I just envision myself being one of the ones to find it. So I'm going to put on the scuba gear. I'm going to find that. And I've, I've thought about going alone. I'll never do it. Don't worry, I'll never do it. It's, it's, it's way too dangerous. When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a story I shared probably about a year ago of a friend of mine, Rick Thomas, and we went scuba diving in Cozumel, Mexico. And we were on our way back up toward the end of the dive. We, and I saw he, he went up to about 10 feet of the surface and stopped. Now, that was normal because if you, if you dive below, I think it's 40 feet, you, you need to decompress. So, so every diver stops. It's about 10 feet from the surface and you decompress and, and so he was he stopped to decompress but his sister who was his dive buddy and the dive master said something's wrong with Rick it doesn't seem it doesn't seem something's wrong and they swam up to him and sure enough he was completely passed out in the water just suspended like that they couldn't tell if he was even breathing And so with some difficulty, they dragged him out of the water and on the boat. I was on the boat by this time, and I was watching what was going on, and Rick's hands were a deathly blue color, his face, his lips. It was clear he had not been getting oxygen, and the diving master began to give him CPR, and it was not working, and he gave him CPR some more. It wasn't working. He continued. Finally, Rick began to breathe again. Seemed like he wasn't breathing at all. And the color began to return to his hands. And, and then they gave him 100% oxygen. Another boat came by and took him to shore, where an ambulance was waiting to take him to the dive hospital. There's a special hospital for dive injuries. There's no doubt in my mind that if, if Rick had not had help, he would have died. There's no question about that. He would have died. And we all need help. The thing is, are we humble enough to acknowledge it? I need help of other people. I need to be connected with other people. I can't do it on my own. And the problem is, if we haven't developed relationships, if we we haven't done my takeaway, which is take time to reconnect with others, if we haven't done this step, then when we find ourselves in a place needing help, we're just not going to have people to reach out to. Now, the church should always be that. But we'll find ourselves in a difficult place. We all need help at times. Second point Solomon makes is that we all need care and comfort. In Ecclesiastes 4:11, we read also, he says, "If two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? Now, on the surface, this looks like a simple matter of staying warm on a cold night, you know, being with somebody that can help keep you warm. But there's more to it than that. I'm convinced it means more than just physical comfort here. It's, it's physical and emotional care and comfort. In fact, he's describing companionship. Dr. D.A. Garrett writes this. He says, The warmth of lying beside each other is an image derived from that of travelers who must lie beside each other to stay warm on cold desert nights. But the usage here is metaphorical for emotional comfort against the coldness of the world. I think he's exactly right. It's not just a picture of, well, you need someone to stay warm with. He's talking about comfort. He's talking about care. He's talking about companionship. And all of us need that at times. We all need people with whom we can go through life. I believe the first time I... Fully under, or really understood this, I don't know if even fully, but really understood this was on a trip I took to Seattle, Washington several years ago. I was going to take a class, I was going by myself. So I flew across the country. In one of the afternoons or two of the afternoons, we had, I had free time and so I, I drove the rental car I had to the Space Needle. Some of you have maybe been to the Space Needle and they had a wonderful event that day at the Space Needle, they had a, a food fair. It was called the Taste of Seattle or something like that. And I enjoyed, you know, some salmon jerky, for example, and stuff that was like regional and and Starbucks coffee they were giving away for free because it started in Seattle. So people went around with these big containers on their back. It was just so much fun as I was walking around. And then I went to the Pike Place Market. And some of you are familiar with the Pike Place Market. It's a fish market, the people there, they, they pack these fish. If you want to buy a fish, you, you point at it. It could be 30 to 40 pounds. And they pick up this huge fish, and they toss it to the next guy. And that guy tosses it to the next guy, and they wrap it up, and here's your fish. It's just fun watching them. But they sell all kinds of other things as well. And one of the things they sold at this market were, were dozens of stands of flowers. Now, I don't care about flowers usually, but these ones, I'd never seen anything like it. Let me show you a picture that was taken at the market. I didn't take this picture. got it online. But that's, they were colors. The flowers were colors that I didn't know existed in nature. And suddenly I thought, I want to send some of these to my wife, Karen. I'm going to box these up and send them to her. And then I realized, no, I can't. They won't make it. They're not going to make the flight. And then a kind of a profound sadness came over me. And I, I almost broke down crying. In fact, the rest of the day, everywhere I went, I was, I was close to tears. I'm even close to tears now as I think about it because I realized that my, my honey, my wife, wasn't here with me. I was enjoying some things, but I needed a companion. I needed someone to share this moment with me. She wasn't there. And I thought, boy, it's just different when you enjoy things, but you're by yourself and you can't share it with someone else. It just hit me like a ton of bricks, the fact, what a difference it would have made if she had been right with me. And we need someone like that. And sometimes it can be serious. This month is the third anniversary of of the the month when my appendix did something weird. It, It died. I don't know what the proper term is, but it turned gangrene, my appendix. I didn't know it. I was walking around like, yeah, I got a dead appendix here. Glued to other organs, my system started shutting down before I got to the doctor. It was very, very serious. And my wife was with me in the hospital for nine days, almost nonstop. It wasn't that she needed to save my life. It wasn't. That's not what it was about. I mean, sometimes it's helpful to have someone there to f- fight for you or say, you know, he needs something here. Or whatever, but it was more about just being there, comfort and care, her presence with me. It could be life changing. They say that if people that have this survive. But when we don't have others with that we know a care for us and are part of our lives. Now the church again can be this. I think the church can be for us a family you never had. If you got connected properly, it can be the family you never had, or it could be the family nearby if your family's far away. And at the church here, by the way, we also have a care team that does hospital visitation and addresses other things because we, everyone needs care. Everyone needs comfort. We all need help at times. And that's what I think Solomon was getting at in verse 11 when he said, also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But the one, one person, you know, how can he keep warm? And again, I think it's, it's emotional warmth More than, or at least as much as the physical warmth that he's talking about. It's care, it's comfort, and it's also just the the idea mentioned earlier, companionship. So take time to reconnect with others. We all need help at times. We all need care and comfort. And the last point I want to make is that we all need protection. Third thing he mentions is protection, that all of us may face situations, or it's possible all of us will face situations where we'll be in danger. And so he talks about that in verse 12. He says, and if someone overpowers one person, two can resist them. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And I love that, third, that statement, a cord of three strands, because he's saying even three is even better than two. It's great. Now, we need protection in different ways. When I was even thinking about this, I'm not sure why this came to mind, but I, I thought of elderly those who are elderly, that get scammed out of their life savings. I can think of nothing, very few things, I should say, that make me angrier than when people do that. I, somebody that does that to an elderly person takes advantage of the fact that they're, they're trusting and this and that and takes their wealth. It's, a, it's, an evil, it's an evil that justifies a place called hell in my mind. It's that evil and and people need to be protected from things like this and protected from other things as well sometimes though it's it's even physical danger and a week or two ago I read a story about a couple guys that were mauled by a grizzly bear I'm not sure who all of you read it it just happened I think three weeks ago the two guys were Kendall Cummings and Brady Lowry they were both sophomore wrestling buddies on the Northwest College in Powell Wyoming and these two guys, plus a couple of other guys, uh, went up on a mountain to, to look for deer antlers or elk antlers. I'm not sure. I didn't know that was a thing, but they were looking for antlers. Here's a picture of the two guys, though. And um, so there were probably four with them, or there were four in all to start with, or whatever. At a certain point, though, the group split into two, and these two guys went up further, further on the mountain. And when they got to the spot up where they wanted to be looking for these antlers, they saw claw marks and they saw feces that they thought were from a, a bear. And as soon as they observed that, suddenly a bear appeared. And Lowry, he was the guy that was on the right, he says, before you could even think or blink, there's a bear that came running out of the trees right in front of me. And Lowry was the one who was attacked first. He describes it. It started chomping on me pretty good. It got hold of my left arm. It was shaking me around. It broke my left arm. Seeing his friend in danger, Cummings tried to get the bear's attention. He started initially by making a lot of noise, and then he was throwing things at it. Nothing was working. And then he described what he did next. He jumped down and grabbed the bear and yanked it off Lowry. Can you imagine that? It's a grizzly bear. He sees his friends, friend being attacked like that, and he comes behind and rips it off, the, off his back. Well, the, the bear turned on him at this point, point. and Cummings describes his, what happened to him. It tackled me, chewed me, bit me up a, a bit. Then the bear wandered off a little bit and came right back again and attacked him some more. This time it bit him in the head and the cheek, Let me show you a picture of the two guys in the hospital. Cummings was the one on the right. He was the one who came to the aid of the other one. He's the one that suffered the greatest harm because he came to defend his friend. The other two wrestling buddies joined them around this time, and they took turns, these guys carrying Cummings down the mountain. He needed to be carried down. It was about a mile. And eventually, he got the help that he needed. Um, and besides what had happened to Cummins already with his face and everything his arm was broken it required six screws and bolts he'd been bitten also on the right thigh all this had happened to him both these guys are expected to make a full recovery but Lowry the one who had been saved by his friend said this to the cowboy daily press I don't know how I'm going to pay him back I don't I owe him everything we'll be best friends for the rest of our lives I think we need people in our lives like this. Sometimes it's going to be physical danger, sometimes emotional danger. Sometimes it's spiritual danger. Sometimes people we love are, are being led astray and down a wrong path by someone, and we need to come in there. All of us are going to face dangers at times, dangers maybe in the city. I was mugged in a city and stabbed. Or dangers in the home. It could be the home. And we want to rescue people. The point is though we need people in our lives at times like this so let me summarize here and give an application take time to reconnect with others i'm just saying that i think we've become distant and i'm asking us to consider taking some initiative to reconnect with people in a deeper way because we need help at times we need care and comfort we all need protection now i realize The people are busy right now, and some are saying, I don't have time for relationships. I don't know that you can afford not to. And the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake your assembling together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, which is us. Because I think things are going to get tough in the days ahead, and we're going to need one another deeply. Now, normally after a talk like this, I'd point us to join a community group or one of our care groups but um they're all wrapping up at this time of year as we're getting near the holidays but they'll be starting again in january so i want to encourage you to to pay attention in january as we announce the different community groups would be bible studies and fellowship groups care groups would be groups that address particular needs in your life and all of those will be launching again in january also i encourage you to take maybe a step in the direction of serving because Oftentimes, relationships are formed in in that context, around an activity. And and there are many opportunities to serve here. And then finally, I encourage you to participate in this, our November Kindness campaign. Part of that campaign is just to serve your neighbor. But there are other ways that you can serve people here or be part of this uh, and look for opportunities to really connect with people during this holiday season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just thankful that you are our God and you wanted a relationship with us and that you've created us to be this way as people that need friends and fellowship and relationships with others. I pray you help us to take this seriously and not be proud and self-sufficient and think, I don't need other people. All of us do. And we need to take that step. So give us the grace to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.